When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Taco Tuesday Mailbag. I am your host tonight, Michael Macon, otherwise known as Macon. We've been on a bit of a hiatus from this. We don't do it every week. It's a solo podcast. It's kind of trickier to do. So without further ado, let's just get right back into it and get back on track. You had questions about Texas Tech Athletics. Hopefully, I have some answers that you guys will like. So first and foremost, the big question on everybody's minds was about the football program. Big questions, I should say. Not a shocker. So we'll start there, and hopefully I can help you guys feel a bit more at ease about some of the questions you had. So the first question is regarding Baron Morton, the rumors around his injury effectively. How much do you think his shoulder was actually bothering him? Does that explain some of the offensive play calling and lack of aggression? I think absolutely. The rumors is that Baron Morton might have even hurt an AC joint and was basically running on painkillers. Um, you know, there there's reason to believe that he was banged up. There was a lot of rumors he wasn't taking every rep and that uh, Strong was getting quite a few QB1 reps and Barron was barely throwing. And if, if even if half of that is true, that explains kind of the lack of true aggression from Zach Hitley with Baron Morton. You know, there it was a very limited game from, from um, Barron. But, you know, it also speaks to the fact that I think that there has been definitely a priority shift in how this offense attacks. I think Coach McGuire did his job and got into Kitley's office and told him, you know, what was up. And that is you have to use Taj Brooks. You have to use him now. So that that was kind of comforting to see and experience against U of A. Because here's the, here's the other thing about it is even if Baron Morton was limited, I think the offense is shifting to be much more orientated around your backs. Both had fantastic games. Cameron Valdez was incredible in relief of Taj Brooks and showed off his real breakaway speed. Um, Taj was himself. He is one of the most patient backs Tech has ever had, one of the ones with the best vision. He just did an incredible job finding four to five yards when there was really nothing there at all to be found. So it's probably a bit of column A, a bit of column B. Yes, Barrett Morton was clearly not 100%, clearly didn't get a lot of reps in practice as QB1, despite the fact Chuck went down due to his shoulder. This week, by all accounts, he's feeling a lot better, and we should see more of what he can do. We're going to find out a lot more about your young quarterback in the road at Waco. He got spanked by Baylor last year, as did really the entire team. That wasn't a solo defeat by any stretch. So it's going to be kind of a moment for him to maybe address a lot of questions about both his shoulder health and his overall play. We'll see, but expect a heavy dose of the ground game regardless of his status. Second question is about the receiving group. Still more questions here in this group overall, so I'm not surprised to get another one. But again, we're getting another question about sort of receiver separation and drops. So this question is, are the receivers really to blame more than we've been led to believe? 
by just the random fans on Twitter. Perhaps we were too harsh on Shuck. So I don't think we were too harsh on Shuck, to be honest, uh, in the sense that like, he was playing poorly. And again, his injury was horrific, and I'm rooting for him, and that is the worst possible outcome. If he lost his job, I wanted it to be because he lost it, honestly. And I wanted him, honestly, to go win it. I would have loved to see him go win it. The receivers were not helping his cause by any stretch, though. There, there continues to be a lack of real separation from a lot of the receiving core. There continues to be critical drops and big moments. And there continues to be this feeling that there just isn't a guy to go to when you need to when you need a big play. And that's the real thing that I think this receiving core lacks, regardless of how much of the problems in the passing attack have been separation, route running drops, any of that. The real issue is who you go when it's third and seven and the game's on the line and you've got to get this first down to keep the chains moving. Who's getting the ball? When it's fourth and eight, when it's, you know, third and goal from the nine. And you need these are all pass heavy plays and critical moments. You've got to get the first down. You've got to get in the end zone. Who's the guy you targeted? And you can see it, it. It is a problem at all levels when you don't have a guy, right? Like, look what happened to the Chiefs when Kelsey was hurt. There was nobody in that receiving core stepping into the role of being the guy. It really hurt them. It and, and to a much greater extent, in college that's even true because in college one receiver can really just change a passing attack. Right now we're missing that guy. You know, I I, I think maybe Fungi can step into that role a bit more than he has uh, Bradley. Uh, Koi Eakin is, is a guy that the staff really likes to start taking on more and more. Xavier White, Miles Price, these are all guys who are talented receivers but just have not been able to assert themselves as the guy. And that, more than anything else, is the big problem right now in the receiving crew. There's no Jakeem Grant, you know. There's there's no Ezekama. There's, there, there's, there's no guy to bail out your quarterback in a tough spot. Uh, right now, it's by a committee effort. And that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world that you're able to target a lot of talented guys, but they're all just kind of stuck in the middle. I think Miles Price is maybe making the best case to become your wide receiver one target, but it, it's still wide open, and that's to the detriment of the team. You need somebody who can regularly be, all right, we just got to throw it up there and hope he gets it because we've got to make a play right here. Next question is on the defensive side of the ball. First half was absolutely atrocious. Second half was some of the best defense played in Red Raider country in a while. What was different? First and foremost, a huge credit to the staff. You know, that, that second half was beautiful, guys. If you don't believe me, 100 yards, I think, was all they gave up. No points. U of H never looked comfortable in that second half. Tech iced the game on the back of its defense. So huge credit to the staff for making adjustments. Tim DeRuiter came up with a much different game plan. What was different? I think there was a sense of urgency in the second half. In the first half, it really looked like Tech was sleepwalking. And, you know, the pass rush still wasn't great, but it was much better in the second half. That's something to highlight. There was a lot more pressure in Donovan Smith's face. Once he was uncomfortable, we saw the Donovan Smith we kind of expected to see in Lubbock, a quarterback who is a dog. I'm, I love Donovan as a player, but lacks some of the higher-level quarterback ability that you have to have at this level. And once we flustered him, that offense just melted down in the sun. Uh, but the real, I think the biggest aspect is just the fear of God was putting them at halftime. I have to imagine that was an absolutely horror scene of a halftime uh, speech. Just, they just, they came out cold. I thought it was, I think it was Ben Roberts who said that they seemed, once they got sweated a bit, seemed to get into it. I, I don't know why you need extra motivation to get ready to play a home football game when you're a one and three team that is desperate for that big win. But uh, they clearly needed something to get them going. And thankfully they found it because you needed to play a strong second half. I don't think your offense is built 
for real shootouts this year. You know, you're riding your ground game. You've got an inexperienced quarterback. The offense was great on Saturday, but a lot of what allowed them to be great was, you know, in that second half, they didn't have to run a million miles per hour and take a bunch of risks and all that nonsense. They could largely just be relatively efficient every other drive and eat away at clock. Scored 35 in the first half, 14 of which was on special teams. Second half, he only scored 14 points. You know, uh, the, the margin of victory is fantastic, but the offense isn't built to put up 50 this year. It's just not. You you need to win games in the 30s because you need to ride your ground game. You need to eat clock. You need to play possession football. And you have the tools to do that. So the defense has to do more of what they did in the second half. And the biggest thing is to play with urgency. Last year against Baylor, I think the biggest thing I could say against the staff was they looked unprepared, unready, and unmotivated. And Baylor pounced. You go into Waco, it is a critical game. Crowd's not going to be very big. It just isn't going to be. I'd be surprised if there – I wouldn't be surprised, I should say, if there's not a tarp up or two in that stadium. Uh, it's just not going to be the hottest environment in the country. But they're going to be coming off of a very big win. They're going to have a little bit of momentum underneath them. So you got to be ready. you got to be motivated. You have to be Baylor. You have to be. There's no excuse for not beating them. You know, Maybe there still exists this gap between the newcomers and the rest of the Power Five uh, – returning group and I think that's true that's why Baylor was able to ultimately outlast UCF but Baylor and Iowa State are kind of having a race and you're in that race too with Oklahoma State for the bottom of the power five team and you need to clearly assert yourself right now as being above that group start separating start getting back into the season you win that game you're sitting at three and three overall and you've got Kansas State up next, who looks more vulnerable than I expected. So you can really start changing your season. But it's motivation. That's what it was in clear in the second half against U of H. This defense, when they're playing motivated football, can play as well as they have all year, which is very well. Now, the next question is about the special teams. Dre McRae was phenomenal. What is the key to making a good return work? Why has it been so long since Tech has had an elite returner back there? The, the short answer is returns count on so much bullshit to work. You have to have fantastic blocking. You got to have the return coverage unit for the other team fuck up is the other big part of this. And there hasn't really been a vulnerable special teams unit in the Big 12. You know, there have been some that are more incompetent than others, but there haven't been too many just really vulnerable units to take advantage of. And then it's pure speed and vision. And I thought what was great about that, that touchdown wasn't just the fact that the speed was phenomenal, that the blocking was great, and that you were able to work through contact to make it happen, but it was the patience. He started to get hit and he kept his head up and kept looking for the lane now that kind of thing is going to get into trouble on occasion i think you're going to see a lot of returns where he tries to do something like that and gets caught but you can't fake fast and as long as that vision is showing him where to go i'm all aboard him taking risks i love a risk taker as a return man i just do i love it it's an exciting play i know it's a health risk i'm sure we're going to see it banned the kickoff in particular eventually legislated out of football but that was a lot of fun to watch. And what's set Tech back a good amount is not having any returner. You start so many drives behind the eight balls when you don't have it. So maybe that touchdown will wake up that unit. Special teams was great that night. Um, just huge shout out to to them for having a, a, an incredible game across the board. Really took care of business. And were basically the reason you won that football game. You know, that 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 return was awesome. But the punt block and, and that moment with the punt block particular was big it, it really changed the entire outlook of the game get that stop and following up with an immediate touchdown like that so but yeah that what makes an elite return is a lot of nonsense factors and then just raw speed and vision so it's it's tricky to say that you can ever count on one guy being your just 
I, he's gonna he's got a fifty percent chance to take it back every time he touches the ball. Now, even the best returners are not anywhere close to that effective. But if you got a guy who can consistently get you to the thirty, get you to the thirty-five on drives, five ten yards makes a huge difference, folks. Especially for an offense that's trying to reorientate around its running backs, which means you are going to need, in order to maintain the kind of drive success we want, you're going to need to play against shorter fields. Uh, and and Tech has struggled this year sustaining long drives in particular. So shaving off those yards is what I want to see. So more of that. Love to see it. Hopefully that sparks something in the return game. We did get one question about a sport that wasn't football, and I love, love that we're getting it. It's regarding the women's soccer team. Just how good are they? And the answer at this point is, is they are legitimately a top 15 team in the nation. I don't know what the official soccer ranking is supposed to be, as in what is their version of, of, of the AP poll at this point in time. But the, the short and thick of it is they are pretty much ranked in the top 15 by every major poll. The, the, the tech Twitter account listed four here, which is the United Coaches poll, top drawer soccer, college soccer news, and then the NCAA RPI, which I'm probably willing to guess is the one that weighs in. I don't know how the tournament selection works for soccer. I, I like soccer a lot more than I think most people know about me, but I don't know anything about how soccer works at the college level. I just don't. I just like to watch the ladies play, and then when they get to the tournament, I love the shit out of watching them try to make a move up and down the ranks, but I don't. I know very little about that world. I just don't. Um, that's a mea culpa for me. I'm not trying to make an excuse. The product is fantastic. Everybody should be watching. I think this will be a great year for us all to learn a bit about it together. But they are that good. What I know about soccer in terms of what happens on the field is a little bit more detailed. They're extremely good offensively. They have a great keeper behind the cleanup mistakes on the back end. And really, they're just taking care of business, folks. I mean, that that's that's all you ask, right? It's hard in soccer to be just truly dominant because the games are so low scoring typically. But will, let me read you some stats that the account put out the other day. First in the country in assists, second in goal differential, fifth in points per game. There is probably arguably one more dominant team in the nation since you're second in, game, in point differential, but that's pretty incredible. This is an offense that's built to hunt, and they, they're playing. Uh, and that's the thing. Soccer's, to me, I've watched enough soccer to be like, I can respect the team that packs it in, parks the bus, and tries to play defense. I can respect it. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I can respect it. You think you got to do what you got to do to win. I don't give a shit how you win. Just win. And in soccer, it's almost sometimes better to play for a draw if you're really outmatched. So I understand that. But I love, and everyone loves, a team that's going to score a bunch of goals, and this team does. Look, it's it's just, it's time for everybody to get on board. You know, I, the, the bandwagon is still in the station. You can still hop on. I understand the latecomers. Soccer's not everybody's bag. Like I said, I don't know much about the world of soccer outside of just a general appreciation for the on-field product. Let's learn together, folks. Let's all get more involved. Us here in the Cotton Club group can do more promoting it. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the shout-out to everybody who's been covering the, the, the women's team far more than we have. we got to do a better job. We all could watch. It's a lot of fun. I've been watching the games more often than not, but I just don't want to comment on something that I don't have an ex, even close to an expert opinion offering up on. But I'm in, I've been trying to read more about soccer, soccer tactics, so I can give you guys more coverage. And really, they are that good. I mean, this this is one of the best tech soccer teams ever. Uh, granted, that gets settled when we see how they do in the postseason. There have been some really successful tech soccer teams. But right now, they are playing the best soccer we've seen in Red Raider land in a long time. And after a few years of this program, letting us all down just a little bit. I don't mean that in the sense that they weren't 
trying their best or the effort wasn't there. I mean, they just we, we expected a lot from this program and they haven't really reached some of those expectations the last several years. But this year they are exceeding any expectation. This could be a national contending Texas Tech team. And folks, we don't have enough national titles to start turning our noses up on a sport we maybe don't love as much. So tune in and really enjoy these ladies work there. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun to watch good soccer being played. And I, I watched, I was on a call and hopped off to watch the end of the Tech Texas game. So I only caught like the last five minutes of that game. So I saw the free kick happen. And I, I don't know what the craziest goal in soccer history is, but that is well up there for one of the craziest collegiate goals of all time. So, you know, they're playing fun. They're winning. It's exciting. Hop on the bandwagon and get in. Now, that is all the time we have. This is a short podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with this one again. Hopefully, we'll have more coverage you guys throughout the week about Texas Tech's date with Baylor coming up, including uh, previews, keys to the game. Keep an eye peeled for any articles we got out this week as well. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one. Rack up.